Hello, everybody. I'm Perry. Wanted to stop in at the top of the episode to let you know about something that I forgot to mention in the main episode. So last year, we did a fundraiser for Movember. And this year, I, I, I wanted to do the same thing. And things got really busy. And I started to think maybe we're not going to be able to make it happen. But here we are, and we're actually going on for our second year with our charity campaign for Movember. So for folks who don't know what Movember is, it is an organization that raises awareness for men's health and men's mental health. Um, They have been incredibly supportive, not just of uh, myself, but also the support that we have given them uh, through the podcast as well. Uh, last year, we had an initial goal of $500, and we raised over 800 by the end of the fundraiser itself. So this year, I wanted to do this again because it's an extremely important organization to me and also something that has always been important uh, to my journey, to who I am as a person. And so throughout the month of November, once again, uh, and potentially throughout the rest of the year, depending on how much traction we might get, I wanted to do another fundraiser for Movember. So uh, I am going to be implementing some, uh, some gifts, uh, some giveaways, some prizes as well for those who donate. Uh, I'm thinking what we're going to do is a like if it, I and, and I'm not sure how it's going to work just yet. Maybe it's whoever donates the most or uh, like a random drawing. I don't really know. Uh, but I was thinking doing like a private tasting with somebody who donates. So yeah, that, I'm going to iron out some of those details. But uh, there is going to be a link in the description below for this episode uh, where you can find the link to Movember. To you can so you can also find our uh, our, our page where you can donate. Please tell your friends, please tell your family. It's an unbelievably great organization, one that I, I have such a great relationship with. Um, they actually, after I, after we welcomed our daughter into the world, I reached out to Tony, my, my buddy at Movember, and I said, hey, I'm considering doing this again. Here's a little life update. And he said, here are some tools for you as a new dad tools to help you mentally get through this and they've been extremely helpful um and the fact that he just without even thinking about it said here you go it just means a lot to me that these people are doing what they're doing they're showing support uh for men's health men's mental health and the mental health side of it as we were talking about last year it's something that a lot of people don't normally talk about so movember we're going to be raising money for him again this year. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. I'm also really excited for you guys to listen to this week's episode. Swan and I had a great time recording, and I also had a great time recording the interview with Ken Lewis from New Riff. So without further ado, let go. Everybody, welcome to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I am your host Perry, and with me, Swan. As... Oh, that sounds like a bad knock-knock joke. Yeah, I know. I just, I just <laughs> felt like interrupting. Yeah. 
<laughs> Remind me to tell you my new favorite knock-knock joke once we get done with the episode. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm going to pause it and go ahead and tell you. <laughs> Hit me with it. <laughs> I just told him the joke. I didn't want to record it because it's <laughs> it's a little uncouth. It's a suspect. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a solid start to this week's episode. Ooh. Hey, if you're new to the show, welcome for the first time ever. Uh, if you're not yet, please subscribe to the show. New episodes come out every Wednesday. You can also become a patron of the show. Patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast. I can't believe I did that. Should we start out? No, nah, we're not going to start over. Let's just keep going. We're too with far it. now. No. <laughs> we're too far in. Uh, maybe I'll tell the joke on uh, on a live stream. There you go. Oh, by the way, I'm starting my live streams again this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thursday nights on YouTube. Uh, so it's going to be the day after this episode comes out. I don't know exactly what time it's going to be just yet because the schedule got shifted around when I announced I was going on hiatus. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I'm going to figure that out. TBD. I will post it on the socials, on the medias. I'll let you know. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. I'm going to be doing them every other week, though, for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just going to be another way to make a little bit more income, you know, while I'm the only one working. So, (laughs) yep. Um, Remember, patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast. Anyway. Hey, we've got a really good interview that I got to do with uh, the founder of New Riff, Ken Lewis, which is coming out uh, here. Well, it's coming up, not coming out. It's out by this point, now that you're listening to it. But it's coming up later in the episode. And uh, before we get to that, though, we've got some news we're going to talk about. Uh, We've got some TTB labels, but we always start the show out with Flying Blind. We do. And this is not really a true Flying Blind but this is a, uh, a sample that was given to us by Fred Gilbert, who is one of the listeners of the show. Good old Fred. He's a good dude. He, he likes to bestow some gifts upon us from time to time. Uh, also, I, I forgot to mention, the reason that uh, the New Riff interview is coming out this week is because we went to New Riff. We did. This past Friday. And boy, howdy, did we pick a barrel. <laughs> we picked a barrel. Yes. We picked the first official, this is my bourbon podcast, barrel pick. Uh, Curtis was going to join us this evening to talk about it as well, but he got wrapped up with some work things, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So uh, instead, we're going to be talking about that a little bit. We're not going to divulge too many secrets yeah, about just it. as a blanket statement, we won't be releasing the name or, <laughs> or tasting, tasting notes. notes. Yeah. Or the proof. <laughs> well, the proof is because we don't even know. Yeah. Did you proof it? No. Okay. No. I, I have no idea. I have no clue. I truly have no idea what this proof is. Uh, I've kind of made guesses. I've I talked about it, it a little bit. on the lower end of some of it, but we'll see. We will see, indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got to do it with the Nashville Bourbon Society. We announced this um, back when we did our, our antique collection episode. And uh, it was... <laughs> Boy, it was rough. It was one heck of an experience. Yeah, it was hard. Because like, I was always under the impression... By the way, this is my first barrel pick I've ever been on. That is true, yeah. I, I was Both on, yours and Curtis's. Yeah, we. Kurt and I were kind of under the impression that you know you would have kind of a unanimous winner right uh you kind of come into it and you'd be like oh you know 
this one and this one are good, but this one, it's special. We had two of those in ours. Uh, one was like special new riff. One was special uh, outlier. Yeah. And we were just like, what What do we go with? What are we going to do? And we, we had a, I think we spent more time debating than we did actually drinking. We did, yes. The samples. <laughs> we, we did. Got. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know. I'm excited for everyone to to try it. I am too. I, pre-orders have already come and gone. I think think there might be a few bottles left unclaimed yes but i'm gonna wait until we see what the final count is on that uh before we we say too much about that so stay tuned if you missed out there might be the opportunity for something but no promises just yet but regardless I uh, just want to say thank you to Adam Terry, everybody over at the Nashville Bourbon Society for including us in this. More picks will definitely come in the future. I'm thinking about rigging, not rigging, that's the that's the wrong word, reworking the Patreon a little bit to have a tier or two that are specifically catered towards doing barrel picks. Yeah. So I'm I'm formulating those ideas I'm working on them. I'll probably have that sorted out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we, of course, want to do more barrel picks. That's something that we are much more interested in pursuing the further that we get into this. And, I mean, sky's the limit, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll find out. We'll find out you and me together, Swan. We're going we're gonna to do it together. But in the meantime, I never actually told everybody what this sample was. <laughs> this is Sam Houston 14-year. It's 98 proof. Um, this is a wildly different nose from the things we just got done drinking. Yup, it is. <laughs> it's kind of piney. It is kind of piney. It's kind of butterscotchy. Uh-huh. A little bit of mint. Just kind of sitting on the top of the nose, I feel like. Mm-hmm. This is very fall. Yeah. It's clearing out my sinuses. Yeah. Where's this sourced from? Is it MGP? Uh, yeah? Yeah, it's reminding I say me so. quite a bit of what we had last week, that Desert Jewel. Mmm. Oh, I forgot about that. It was like forever ago that that happened. I see what you're talking about, though. That makes sense. Well, they just have a way of kind of just punching through the, the nose. Ooh, that was a note I was not expecting. Oh, that's buttery. Oh, it's buttery, a little meaty. It started buttery, mm-hmm. but it changed midway through, didn't it? Yeah, it's very savory. Uh huh. <laughs> it's extremely savory. It definitely reminds me of that smoke wagon now. Mm hmm. It's really minty on the back end, too. Interesting. I'm not mad. I'm just kind of lost for words. Yeah, I know. It's not my favorite thing in the world. No, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a steak that you've taken the time to baste with butter over and over (laughs) again, but then you put like a crap load of rosemary on. (laughs) It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all, but... It's uh, 
it, it was it's just kind of fine, I guess. Yeah, it's the Willy Wonka version of the gum, <laughs> but for steaks. It's a full I, meal. What's the name? What's the name of that gum? Doesn't matter. Whatever. We'll get letters. Yeah. <laughs> right in. Tell us at my bourbon pod. <laughs> Well, I guess we kind of already talked a little bit about uh, what we've been drinking recently, but Swan, what you what you been drinking recently? Uh, Russell's Reserve Single Barrel Rye. I've had some more of that. I've had a lot of new riff, uh, including our pick. Um, <laughs> but I actually, per, leading up to the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, I have, I have shared this yes. quite a bit as well, yes. but the, I'm holding up my bottle of our pick. It's just a 200 mil sample bottle, and it's got probably 50 mils left in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I've um I made a point leading up to the pick to try New Riff at different yeah. stages. Uh-huh. So I had a bottle of New Riff, and I've done this with a couple of distilleries where <laughs> it was their first release, and I compared that to two of the picks that I have, one both of which were actually Nashville Bourbon Societies, so that I can kind of figure out where we've been as far as like flavor yeah throughout sorry i had to turn the heater off i was getting a little sweaty you're good <laughs> I, I just wanted to see kind of where we were at flavor wise uh across the board so then when we got to mm-hmm. the pick i could say you know this is what the previous ones kind of had going on for yeah. me this yeah. is what original new riff kind of had going on for me because i'm a sucker for an outlier if it's good yeah i was a uh... I did the same thing kind of the night before, but I went more specific. I tried both of the Nashville Bourbon Society's picks yeah. back-to-back, uh, Old Town Road and Riff Busters. And then I broke Riff, Buster, Riff Busters excuse me, back out for Halloween night. Such a good Halloween pour. It's perfect. I feel like there's something else I'm forgetting about. Oh, your uh, Knob Creek pick. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I told you in chat earlier in the week, well early last week that I picked up a new Knob Creek pick from Liquor Barn. It's called like Freddy No Number 8. Yes. Which means that Liquor Barn went up <laughs> to, oh, or maybe they just got li- or, uh, the, the nose to pick all these barrels. Yeah, maybe. Or they cloned Freddy No <laughs> at least eight times. <laughs> I, I, I like this option better. And then they distilled him as a person into a bottle. There's still some left if you want to try it at some point. Yeah. I told you how good it was. I mean, you don't have to have it right now. Or at all if you don't want. I'll, I'll finish up this Sam Houston. I actually yeah, like take this your time. a bit. Take your time. Yeah. You told me you were going to go light tonight. so. Yeah, going going kind of light tonight. I'm going to be taking a, <laughs> just a, a quick little break from drinking. Yeah. And I'll probably just drink on episodes for a little bit. You're known to do that from time to time. Yeah, I just know that when Christmas rolls around, there's going to be no stopping me. I'm just going to have a pour with dinner and uh, something and, to warm and up. Dessert. And January is going to be like, <laughs> man, it's cold outside. And yeah, I have vaulted ceilings, so my my house is going to be cold. And pff, good old bourbon coat sounds pretty good. Absolutely. So I'm taking a little, little break before <clears throat> we get into that kind of weather. Indeed. Well, Swan, shall we get into some of the news? Yes, yes. Well, shall we start with the saddest news? Go ahead. Sean Connery passed away. He did. That was uh, that was wild. Um, I know it's kind of odd that we bring up Sean Connery on a bourbon podcast, but he was a bourbon and whiskey drinker in his day. And uh, you actually have a pretty pretty significant connection to 
Well, at least his name. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was named after Sean Connery. <laughs> Excuse me. You were you and your brother. Me and my brother, yeah. Uh, as a as a collective, I guess. <laughs> we uh, yeah, my dad's clock and number at work was zero zero seven. So, um, I don't know. I guess that the names were also family names, but he just thought it was great that he could make that combination work because my brother's <laughs> name is Connor. Yeah, Sean Connery. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, apparently he had dementia as well, and uh, he passed in his sleep, which is best way to go. Perfect. Um, but yeah, man, that's a, it's a bummer. But he was ninety years old. I mean, it's not like he was. Oh no, he he lived a very long life and did a heck of a lot of stuff. He did. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it's sad, but it's um. It's nice to be able to celebrate him in some way. Mm-hmm. Go watch, uh, go watch The Rock. Go watch The Rock. I've been meaning to get around to watching that one in the in the past few days. So, uh, yeah, let's move on. I have you s- asking you this, not knowing what's coming up, but have you seen what happened to Beam Suntory this past week? No. They got fined nineteen point six million dollars. Mm. In a bribery case with uh, the Indian government, actually. What'd they do? Well, uh, basically what it gets down to is that it was all about distribution. Um, and they were trying to, of course, make some more money with it. And uh, the the uh, Department of Justice and Trade Commissions all caught wind of it. And they, they went down. Went down hard, man. So... Um, it's that's wild i mean they of course went with the uh <coughs> excuse me the whole yeah we're committed to doing the best and putting our best foot forward and yada 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 but still you freaking <laughs> you, you did something pretty pretty nasty there yeah beeps on tory so hopefully it doesn't reflect poorly on the whiskeys um, I'm still going to drink most Beam products. <laughs> beam 8 star. I said most. Yeah. That's one of them. No, I'm not I'm not drinking that. That's not what you told me when we went to Party Source this past weekend. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to some lighter news as well. Kentucky now apparently has almost 10 a million barrels of bourbon aging. Mm-hmm. Wild significant amount crazy crazy stuff yeah um it so this kind of breaks stuff the numbers break down a little bit more than that uh total number total number of just bourbon barrels uh 9.2 million and the number of barrels of uh, bourbon filled last year uh 2.1 million Uh, previous high total was 9.1 million last year, and before that, it was 8.7 million in 1968. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know if that's a 95% of all bourbon in the world is made in Kentucky is still true, but it sure does seem like it's a really significant amount one way or another. So There is 2.23 or 2.24 barrels per Kentucky citizen. 2.24 barrels per, per per person. Per Kentucky resident, yeah. Fantastic. That's insane. That's amazing. Yeah. Where's my barrel? Yeah, right? 
I want 2.2 barrels sent to my house. I, I would do it just like the olden days mm-hmm. where I would just tap it and just pour it right out of the barrel yes. into my Glencairn and then just be happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would buy a barrel of like Russell's, just put it in the corner. <laughs> Could you imagine if everyone got sent those barrels, but you had no choice in which ones you got? So like Chad oh, gets Ozzie sent Tyler. like yeah, Chad gets sent like two OZ Tyler barrels, Town Branch. Yeah, and then, I don't know. I get sent like new make that just hit the barrel yesterday. But then some person that doesn't even drink bourbon is like, well, this one's been sitting at Buffalo Trace for 20 years in a temperature-controlled environment. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what W.L. Weller means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty great. I'd be, I, would, uh, I would not be upset to live in that reality. I'll say that much. Speaking of Buffalo Trace, by the way, they have uh, expanded the Freddy's Old Fashioned Soda lineup. They have, yeah. Yeah, they've got a ginger beer and a ginger ale now. Good stuff. I am really ready for them to come out with like a tribute to the Johnson family bottle, though. That would be nice. I feel like that's got to be the next big release from them. Like big significant release that is new to their, their lineup. I don't want it to be a tribute bottle. I want it to be its own new line. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I mean, kind of in the same vein of you know when I when Blanton's was alive mm-hmm. and uh, Bl- Colonel Blanton, excuse me, was alive and he produced one that was named after himself. And the same with, I uh, same with Elmer T. Lee. Mm-hmm. Goodness, I cannot speak tonight. I'm having trouble with those L's. Yeah, it'd be nice too to just see him. You know, say I'm going to go pick. Uh, you know, a Stag Junior, uh, E. H. Taylor, and a, you know, a single like a foolproof Weller, and I'm gonna put him in the gift shop. <laughs> Why not? Could you imagine if he did like a yearly just launch of those? That'd be insane. It's called Freddy's Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Every One, Friday. Every, ooh. They would burn that place to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about when I say they too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not me or you. No, no. No, I might I, try once and I then would, never go again. Yeah, I would I would be interested in that. But that would be me sending an email to Buffalo Trace saying, hey, can we get samples of these? Yep. <laughs> hey, speaking of Buffalo Trace again, <laughs> even though we never stopped the first time. Yeah. I think we might have mentioned this a little bit. I'm not entirely sure. But there is a new last drop mm-hmm. coming out. From Buffalo Trace, uh, 1980, uh, yeah. where is when it was uh, when it was made, aged for 20 years, and then was left in a stainless steel vat or different vats uh, for another 20 years, and uh, it's being bottled at 90 proof. <sighs> What's your thought on that? Um, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's $4,600 per bottle. <clears throat> Let me say this. Let me say this. I made an effort to request a sample of it. Oh, yeah? And I got told that those samples had already been spoken for. 
Yeah. So there were actual samples that people got sent of this. Mm-hmm. $4,600 bourbon. Yeah. For free. And we were not one of them. Anyways. Uh, I just really wanted a sample. I mean, who wouldn't want a sample yeah, of, of that? Course. Eh, it's fine. 240 bottles available worldwide. And uh, like I said, $4,600. It's just it's just so much money. Mm-hmm. If it makes you feel better, I think those are the ones that are also coming with an airplane bottle of it. So they you are. can kind of leave your fancy $4,600 <clears throat> bottle to the side and... <coughs> Try it. Try Excuse that, me. Little, that little bit, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, there is also, we, you and I talked about this on our way back from New Riff, I think. Or maybe it was on the way too. I don't know. There's a new bootleg series from uh, Heaven's Door coming out. They are. Um, Volume two. Packaging, beautiful. Gorgeous. It's the one with the green leather, like, yeah. book binding. Book box thing. Yeah. Yeah. 15-year Tennessee bourbon finished in Jamaican rum barrels. And uh, this is a little pricey as well. Uh, $500, but there's a, about 3,000 bottles out there. Um, oh, look, somebody's named Perry in this article. I would love to be an individual with disposable income yes. right about now. Yeah, there's lots of, I feel like this is the year for expensive LEs. It is, yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> well, I feel like somebody's goal was like, Let's get a little more scotch territory in pricing. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I can't blame them, <clears throat> but you're also not putting the same time investment no. you are with scotch. It's Ooh. hard for me to look at scotch and be like, that's $1,000. Oh, but it's also 30 years. And then see something else that's like, you've been taxed even less. And somehow <laughs> you're the same price. Well, it, it We've talked about it before. It all has to do with the the boom and the market and even what secondary is dictating at this point. But to be honest though, I don't think that this is one of those products that would be directly influenced by something like the secondary market. I just think that this is, uh, I think this is a little tone deaf. (laughs) Pardon the pun. Yeah. But But, I mean, we've seen that same bottle of bootleg series set at total wine for how long oh months yeah months and months and months because the last one was announced last year uh, actually last november almost a a year ago but it was also five hundred dollars and there's some there's some bottles at that price point will sell like the kentucky all dry state i watched it get set in the case and i saw the first (laughs) person walk up to it and they bought it on the spot Mm -hmm. it's gone beautiful case you know arguably to some people the the actual bourbon itself is worth it um, and the bootleg series is kind of just like, I don't know if you've got enough reputation for this bottle's yeah. beautiful, but come on. I mean, it's not like Bob Dylan's known as a bourbon drinker. No, not you really. Know? It, it, and I think that's what I'm kind of getting at with this is that it doesn't read like something that an aficionado would want to release. It doesn't read like something that he's had a lot of, investment putting his own stamp on Mm -hmm. and instead it just feels like outsourced work kind of in the same way that sweeten's cove did yeah sweeten's cove and then the woodford baccarat Mm -hmm. cognac finish yeah it all just seems very out of out of touch Mm -hmm. 
And it's unfortunate because I, I mean, I do want to try a 15 year old bourbon finished in 30 year old rum casks. That's something I want to try. I'm not going to deny that, but I'm not drinking that and going, this is Bob Dylan's whiskey. You know what I mean? Like I I just feel closer to Bob Dylan. (laughs) I know the man on a more personal level. No, I just, I, I just don't feel like this has anywhere near the same impact that even like long branch does. And I think that long branch is the extreme Mm-hmm. in this situation because of how in-depth Matthew McConaughey went with its creation. Yeah. But, I don't know. We've talked about celebrity whiskeys a bunch. that We did an episode on it, I think maybe this year, even. So, yeah. Go, go and listen to that instead. Um, there was a new... Oh, yeah, the new Pursuit bourbon new pursuit bourbon yeah good on them man they said that's been a year in the working i know that's hard oh absolutely yeah you're pulling up some of the uh some of the info on it right no actually i was looking for something else there's that oh, I'm sorry. new uh i forget what it's called it's a new um it looks just like the sweden's cove bottle mm. we just put it out <laughs> it was the rutledge bottle what's that one called oh um Blue something. We talked about it last week. Yeah. No, it's finally hidden stores. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. It's nice. It For looks... just about as much money as we thought it was going to be and what we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, packaging is confusing to me. It looks like Sweetens Cove and Rivulet or whatever it is. Yeah. That, like pecan flavored mm-hmm. something or other. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, we'll talk about a couple of releases as well that will actually segue nicely into the interview. Uh, there are a few new new riff bottles Mm -hmm. that are either out or will be out um despite some issues that new riff might have had on the friday of the release we're not gonna go too far into that one and no (laughs) not for not for us to discuss i don't i don't think their their website was ready to handle the request oh no (laughs) no (laughs) anybody who tried to get something from new riff on friday you uh you know the pain. It didn't anyway. matter if you were tier one or not. <laughs> Suck it, Adam Terry. Anyway. <laughs> New Riff has a winter whiskey. Uh, it's a bottled and bond bourbon. Uh, it is really, really interesting. Uh, 65% corn, 20% malted oats, 7% pale ale malt, 5% steel cut raw, o- raw oats, and 3% chocolate malt. All right. Uh, the distillery says it's reminiscent of a chocolate oatmeal stout. Really interesting. Really, really interesting here. This is coming off of the, uh, <clears throat> the what was it, the Backsetter, uh, as well as the Balboa Rye. Um, Maltster. Maltsters. Yeah, we actually are about to talk about the, the Maltsters here in just a second. I, I, we, we talked about the TTV labels for the Maltsters way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so there are two malted products coming out <laughs> or that are kind of out from new riff uh one's a rye one's a bourbon uh 65 corn uh 30 malted rye what this is a very confusing way that they've written this each wait 
this doesn't make any sense. Why did they read? Why did they write this this way? I'm going to write uh, read to you exactly how Whiskey Advocate wrote this. Let's do it. Sixty-five percent corn bourbons each include a malted grain in the mash bill. One with thirty percent malted rye, the other with eighteen percent malted wheat, plus ten percent unmalted wheat and seven percent dark wheat. I think I went brain dead for a second. I <laughs> know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, also, I apologize. They're both bourbons. They're not. Uh, there's not one bourbon, one rye. I, I messed that up. I apologize. Oh, man. Um, but this is actually five years old. This yeah, is one of the oldest. Uh, one of the oldest new riff products that are on the market mm-hmm. at the moment. You've got something pulled up as well that I forgot totally about that we need to talk about. We do. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. You tell them, Swan. Then. Wilderness Trail is putting out a new rye. They are. And, hmm, Swan, where did people first hear about this new rye uh, coming out? I mean, mm. there was a podcast talking about it. Mm. Might have been. All the way back in uh, February? Might have been Might have been us. Might uh, have been. Might have been a scoop. Yeah. Hot scoop. It does have a name. Settler Select. does. Uh, which I don't think we had initially. No, we did not. But we knew what the what it was. We knew yes. what it was going to be, what its purpose was. But this is this is going to be Wilderness Trail's approachable rye. Yes. So there's a lot of rye drinkers and bourbon drinkers that still thought their rye was kind of spicy, uh, which, depending on the pick of it, it is. It is, it is hot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it is definitely a warm your chest, it's cold outside style rye. This one's going to be one that's probably going to be a little easier to maybe put in a cocktail, drink straight, that kind of thing. Um, so that's that's interesting to see that they're doing that. Yeah, and they had said that they wanted to put out a, a rye that would be used not exclusively for, but was kind of more catered towards bartenders. Something yeah. that they could they could use in cocktails Which too. Which is smart because look at yeah, what absolutely. Old Forrester did. Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and I think that this kind of feels like it might be indirect contact or contest. What am I trying to say? Contest. Maybe yeah. I don't know. They're trying to compete. That's what it was. Direct competition <laughs> with Bullet. Oh okay, like the Bullet Rye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Bullet Bullet's Rye is the best selling rye in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a 95.5 MGP rye. That's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, this is their own product. They're trying to put it out for bartenders and people who go to bars. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, many people are going to bars right now. No, but, I mean, I think there's been a huge jump in people doing home cocktails. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Myself included. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, get some of this. A little Eli Mason. One hundred percent. How about a couple of TTB labels, and then we're going to throw it over to the interview. Let's do it. Speaking of Sam Houston, I'm really killing it with the transitions this week. Yeah. 15-year-old, 103 proof, sourced from uh, somewhere in Bardstown. <laughs> so I'm guessing... Barton. Yeah, it's yeah, it definitely is. Seventy four percent corn, eighteen percent rye, eight percent malted barley. Yeah. That's Barton's mash bill. <laughs> so like I said, fifteen years old, hundred and three proof. Um interested in trying it, I guess. I don't know. The twelve I like the twelve year old Barton. Mm-hmm. Or uh seventeen ninety two, excuse me. Yeah, so. I mean, well, we're having Sam Houston right now. We are. Or I am at least. Well, and, I finished mine. Yeah, this is a fourteen year. I'm curious about the proof. I'd like to see an extra mm-hmm. 10 proof points on it because I know it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but 
you know, it's great. It's just hard to approach at that price. Yeah. They're making a name for themselves, though, because the first release I laughed at, and I'm drinking it now, and I'm like, I get it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and last but not least, the newest Jack Daniels Tennessee Tasters selection. It's called the Twin Blend. It's a blend of straight Tennessee whiskey and straight Tennessee rye whiskey. Hmm, so they're doing kind of a forgiven? Kind of, yeah. I uh, 107 proof. They selected 50 barrels of their Tennessee whiskey and rye, um, all with barrel entry date of May 19th, 2014. And uh, yeah, I'd try it. I'll give it a give it a shot or two. Give Maybe. it a whirl. Give it a give it a thought. I'll think about it. Yeah. And then nothing else. <laughs> you mean nothing to me? Nah, you don't. You're. Anyway, so uh, we are going to go ahead and throw it over to my interview with Ken. I really enjoyed getting to sit down and chat with him. Uh, we did, of course, spend a little bit of time talking about Ian. There's no way I couldn't bring Ian up. What, what did he think about Ian? I've not listened to this just yet. Oh, he, he was all about him. Oh, and what's funny, too, is that repeatedly, and you guys will hear this, too, in just a second, we would be talking about our enthusiasm for New Riff. And he would keep saying things like, people like yourself and Ian. I was like, this is fabulous. Ian, so. this one's for you, buddy. <laughs> if nobody else, it's for it's for Ian. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to throw it over to the interview. We're going to be back at the back end uh, of the episode to wrap up with tips and bits and all our plugs. But we'll see you in just a second. I am extremely excited to welcome our, our next guest to the podcast. We've been working on getting this together for, for just a little bit. And thankfully, it's finally come to fruition. Please welcome to the show, Ken, the, the president of New Riff. Yep. And wel- welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a, from my perspective, it's worth waiting for to be with you guys. <laughs> well, we, we really appreciate it. So... In true New Riff spirit, uh, I'm starting out with the uh, the original run of the New Riff Bottled and Bond from from 2014, and I, or excuse me, that was distilled in 2014, and I'll taste through a couple other ones as well. But what, what's really exciting about this uh, for me is that we are actually going to be coming up next month to New Riff to do our very first podcast pick. Um, which we we're just over the moon about. It's with uh, it, it's in conjunction with the the guys at the Nashville Bourbon Society. Um, they reached out to us and asked if we wanted to split a barrel, and we just said absolutely. We we one hundred percent want to do that. Uh, and then with as much love as we've had uh, for New Riff over the past few years, I mean, th- there was no way that we couldn't. <laughs> we couldn't do this so we're, we're we're really excited to to come up and pick a barrel but uh cool. um just just kind of wanted to get into this by uh starting with you know telling us who you are and and how you got into uh the the bourbon world the whiskey world as it were so i'm gonna turn it over to you for for just a few sure but uh I'll certainly give you the short story so if you want any amplification you'll have to ask for it but, uh, <laughs> i'm good with questions so i can okay do that. good well <laughs> i i think what's interesting one of the uh, uh interesting takes on new riff is uh i'm the owner of new riff as well as the ceo um and the the way i got into this uh was i've 
made my entire career in the alcoholic beverage industry. So mm -hmm. I actually, from the age of 24, uh, for 38 years, I was a retailer, uh, a liquor store owner, if you will. And at one point in Kentucky, and I grew up in Louisville, and my first three stores, ultimately it was four stores, were in Louisville. And uh, then I entered the northern Kentucky market, and ultimately I decided that uh, being a chain operator wasn't my uh, thing. I like being much more hands-on and personal, and sure. uh, chains are great, and they're important, but ultimately they're a compromise. Uh, and it's just how well you can execute the compromise. And I wanted to go for it all the time. So I deliberately cut back to a single store. And that store was the Party Source, which is a little bit famous around the country. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's actually physically the largest single store in the United States. And um, so I operated that for 20-something uh, years. And I had a 36, 38-year career as a retailer. So I was also the spirits buyer for the party source as a single store owner. And I clearly, in Kentucky, right next to Cincinnati, but in Kentucky, and I clearly saw the bourbon boom happening right in front of my face. Um, and between me and Jay Arisman, who was my specialty spirits buyer and is now my co-founder, he's not a co-owner, but my co-founder of New Riff and works for me and with me today, um, we got the wild hair idea back, I don't know, maybe about 2010, 2011 of maybe, you know, no one in Northern Kentucky, a la greater Cincinnati was, uh, opening a microbrewery or a micro distillery, or even, uh, let alone one our size. And, uh, you know, why, why, you know, maybe we should get into this. And I got pretty far into the concept of doing it. I, we were still, I think, reasonably early. Uh, I don't think it's something you could do today, given the, the competitive nature of it, uh, of the industry and, and what's going on. But sure. we were early enough, I think, to get in. And it became a big project. And I got far enough into it before I ultimately fatally realized that uh, because of the three-tier system, if I wanted to follow through and actually did this project, I would have to divest the party source. I couldn't be a retailer and a manufacturer. Right. with our three-tier system, which I'm sure you understand. Yes, of course. And, um, you know, I thought there was ways to get around it or a family member or whatever, but ultimately we were too big and too visible and we were going to have to play strictly by the rules. So um, I made a choice, a Sophie's choice, as it were, and I decided to sell the party source and I'm very proud that I sold it to my employees. So it's an employee stock ownership plan. They own 100% of the party source. They own it to this day. They're doing very well and there's well, maybe 50 families, you know, in the next 10, 20 years are going to have a, a very, very, very big boost for their retirement because of that. So I'm very proud of it. And I got into the distillery and uh, uh, we opened in 2014 and it's been quite a project. It's uh, it's become a much bigger project than I ever anticipated, uh, <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, and, you know, the nature of distilling is that... Uh, it's a gift to the next generation and I'm older and I fully realize that in a way that they were just words before, because you keep making investments, you keep planning to do things four, six, eight, ten years down the road, build brick houses uh, and so forth. And it's all going to really come together, you know, for the next generation, whether it's my family, we're going to stay family owned or my employees, uh, just like the party source employees. What was the, the one thing that you kind of, 
weren't expecting that got thrown at you once once this all came together because i at some point of course you are looking at it and going well this isn't an overnight investment this is definitely going to take time as you were saying but in in the process of of creating this brand and and creating uh, your product what what shocked you the most about it what hit you the hardest sure um the to do this right, to, to make great whiskey. And our goal, and we're not bashful about announcing it, um, and we may never get there, but our goal is very ostensibly, very visibly, to become one of the great small distilleries of the world. Mm-hmm. It's never about making money. We're not trying to grow in order to sell out to one of the global companies, which, you know, Copper and Kings just got sold recently. Right. I mean, a year or two ago. I mean, it happens monthly at this point and you know that you keep up with the industry oh yeah absolutely uh, no interest in that at all we're, we're long term going to do it we're going for the brass ring um and you know in order to do that it, it is the continuing capital investment and the continuing deferred gratification is what has surprised me the most i think i understood it intellectually but until you live it until you you know, you, 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 you watch the cash and you, you know, you, you do all these financial projections and you look and you're still going years and years and years in advance to really do it the right way. I mean, it, it does become a labor of love and, um, you know, it's something I think we can be very proud of, but that's what has shocked me that. And maybe, maybe overall just being the first time in manufacturing, this is a little naive, but I'm, I was surprised initially at uh, the level of maintenance that's required. Sure. How sure. expensive it is to keep all this equipment up and running and, and so forth. But, right. So it, in your initial product, um, and, and we can we can talk about OKI as well um, in a moment, but uh, mm-hmm. your initial product with New Riff uh, under that brand was a bottled and bond product. And, and, and we first tried that in 2018, I remember trying it for the first time and, and just really, you know, there, there's, there's a sense of awe that kind of happens every now and then with a four-year-old product where you just, you, you're not expecting it to taste as, as fully aged mm-hmm. as it does. And, and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I, I, I really am a fan of just how full-bodied this four-year-old 100 proof bourbon turned out in, and, and it's, initial run and as i'm still kind of sipping on it now too i'm I'm revisiting some of those those moments some of those memories and flavors from from tasting it initially but what was it about bottled and bond that attracted you or that was attractive to you rather as you were setting up the this brand again we're different we our objectives are different um we're interested in quality and that's not just the same. And so we, there, there, we, we never have a discussion amongst us, you know, what will be ultimately the most profitable way we can do something. It's about what's the best way. And it was Jay Arisman who pushed two things right from the very beginning. Uh, and he's really a brilliant, brilliant individual and, and folks who come in contact with him really enjoy his breadth of knowledge about world whiskey. Um, and that helps center uh, New Rift because we're part of the global 
uh, supply chain, and we want to be one of the great small distilleries of the world. But two things were paramount to Jay, and he taught them to the rest of us, and that was the bottled and bond was was uh, the original from 1897 was the original federal law, original purity law of the United States, and it was worth joining a movement. We didn't initiate it, but we joined a movement to resurrect uh, the concept of bottled and bond as that stamp of quality and purity. And the second thing was non-chill filtration, and your listeners you know, uh, probably are on board well with both of those things. So we never gave any thought to releasing any whiskey before at least four years and never under 100 proof. Uh, and that's a mantra we'll continue and we'll never chill filter any of the whiskeys. Um, and, and that's just our opening salvo. I mean, we're still in a very young distillery. We're in our sixth year. I guess actually we're technically in our seventh year. And I mean, we just have a long way to go with a lot more uh, age expressions, but those are our minimum standards. They're not our maximum where we're at. Of course, right. And, and what's so interesting and exciting about what you all are doing too is that it's not just standard run-of-the-mill, we're releasing this bourbon, we're releasing this rye, here's a single barrel, here's a barrel proof. You're actually really being very methodical and 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 different in the way that you are creating some of your products the balboa rye the peated bourbons the back setters that came out this year as well was that something that you always kind of had in mind or or did that come about organically uh with with, uh, with your master distiller and, and with the team absolutely organically uh you know our desire is we never want to be you know, uh, Baskin and Robbins, 31 flavors. Uh, <laughs> some distilleries want to do that, and that's fine, and more power to them. Uh, we are always cognizant of our position in the great tradition of, uh, of uh, Kentucky whiskey and sour mesh whiskey that came before us. You know, we're a new riff on an old tradition, you know, that we feel that. That's real to us. And so we will. we want to do thoughtful Carefully considered, methodical is a good word. Thank you. It's not a negative word at all. No, methodical innovations. Uh, they they need to be in the the great tradition. Uh, they can't be way far outside. We're, you know, we're not interested in a in, in making bubblegum bourbon. You know, and of course, it can be legal <laughs> anyway. You get my point. I mean, these thoughtful traditional extensions that. And we hope they're all successful, but they, at the minimum, they will advance our knowledge of whiskey making and do a little, put a little footnote out there for folks like you, you know, about what is possible. I mean, Backsetter is just a great example. Yeah. Backsetter happened by, by uh, serendipity, by, by a mistake, basically, not a mistake, really? but accidentally. Sure. Because, you know, what it is, is, is actually pretty, pretty neat because, you know, how much innovation you know, where can you innovate when, I mean, essentially, you know, what's in a mash bill and what's in your process and what's, what it makes sour mash. Of course. It's pretty simple. You know, it's basic. Yeah. And, and the federal laws govern it, you know, what you can say about it and put on the label. And I'm glad for all that. It protects all of us. But, uh, you know, back centers came about because uh, we're a, we're a large distillery. We make up to 8,000 barrels a year, but we're small enough that we're changing the mash bills in the distillery almost on a day-to-day basis. So we might make rye, sure. you know, today and tomorrow make, make bourbon and so forth. So we did have a project where we made some 
uh, peated whiskey, 100% peated you know, wow. malted barley. Yeah. And that project exists, and there are some barrels of that out there. And we're not talking about it. But you know, if you think logically, it had to come from somewhere. So we did that, and we did that four years ago or more. And when the guys were tasting the bourbon and the rye from the day after we made a peated malted barley whiskey, right? they caught it in the tasting process because we taste every single single barrel and every lot, you know, with our entire tasting panel. And they all caught it and they thought it was notable enough. They went back, looked at the records and found out what had happened. Well, it had the malted barley, the peated malted barley had dramatically changed the back set going into our standard bourbon and rye whiskeys, uh, wow. mash bills that day. Right, right. And that became, that was so interesting because uh, it added a nuance. And the other thing that's interesting about it is it can still be called bourbon and still be called rye. Absolutely. following all the rules. Yeah. But I'm not sure anyone had ever used back set as a way <laughs> to manipulate, maybe that's the wrong word, influence what goes into a mash bill, what goes into a barrel and still is traditionally called and can be named legally bourbon and rye. That's very thoughtful, even if it was an accidental innovation for the, and they've picked it up and we're going to repeat it. You know, we're oh, actually that's great deliberately going to make it again. Um, and, and probably we'll do some other interesting things with Backset because it's a, a new tool we have found. That's the kind of stuff that, that excites us too. In addition to making every day, great bourbon and great rye. Go, going into the, this production as well, did you have kind of an idea of what you wanted the flavor profile to be on on New Riff? Just even even just the standard bottled and bond, just as a, a general kind of a general marker for what you would want people to to experience when you tasted it. Yeah, great question, great 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 thread. Um, first of all, disclaimer: you know I am not a distiller. And I have tremendous respect for this. Sure, of course, of course. And I don't even have a particularly good palate. I own the party source from the, you know, the largest <laughs> store in the country. Sold a gazillion bottles of wine, and I could never be a very good wine taster. You know, I knew what was good, I knew what was bad. I'm the same way, you know, and I admire people with great palates. So uh, Ken, the owner, did not know. What Ken knew was if he put a, an amazing team together and gave them the resources and the freedom and the vision to become, to work every day to be a great small story of the world. Right. That neat things were going to happen, but I didn't know what those neat things were. And, and that's, you, you, you know, in management, you know, I'm, I don't want to get away from whiskey, but sure. that's so important today. And it's so throttled back in so much of corporate America, you know, that innovation and that, the, the, the pride and belonging and making something and working as a team for a goal. Anyway, great group of people. What happened in, in our creation story, if you want to call it that, is a couple of things happened. And again, by accident or serendipity, I knew that if I went out and hired, say, a master, uh, not a master, but a head distiller, like that was, say, the assistant distiller at Maker's Mark, which is the traditional approach if you're going to open a big distiller, that what would end up happening is I'd end up with Maker's Mark North. Okay, we'd be making a really good weeded you know, bourbon, uh, right. uh, because it's the nature of the beast. You do this for 20, 30 years, your entire career, you make pretty much the same stuff. 
I went out and I recruited people from craft brewing who understood fermentation and they understood the whole process of, of, of making interesting craft beers and, and, and experimenting and so thoughtful innovation. And then I knew I needed a master distiller to do the training. And serendipity was a Larry Ebersole who had been the head distiller for 25 years at Seagram's in Lawrenceburg, which is only 25 miles, 30 miles from us. Right. And just retired and was looking for some consulting. And Larry is the greatest master distiller that a lot of people have never heard of uh, because he invented the famous 95-5 rye recipe mm. at, and, you know, which is now MGP, but it was Seagram's when he did it. Right. Uh, it is all over the place and is in so many different bottles, as you know. So Larry had retired from Seagram's and he's, he's a brilliant guy and a brilliant distiller. Uh, starting his consulting career, we were his first client and we totally bonded with Larry. He loved the idea of getting really smart people that knew fermentation from the brewing industry and that he would train them. And that's exactly what happened. Well, Larry's a rye guy. Sorry, and we became rye guys. And we like it. And so it fit. It fit perfectly. Sure. So he brought this whole, because rye, as you know, is the most difficult grain to deal with. It's an SOB. Absolutely. Sticky and messy. And mm -hmm. a lot of the stories don't want to fool with it. It's, it's hard to deal with. Uh, it's unforgiving. Larry brought his, you know, his, his, his black arts of, of distilling rye with him um, to New Riff. And we've all bonded, no pun intended, over that. Or maybe it was intended. <laughs> and... Sure. It's it's a love affair. If you want to get right down to it, I don't want to embarrass Larry or or, or Brian Sprance, our head distiller, or Jay Erisman or anyone, but it really is a great bromance uh, because he found a willing group of younger folks to teach, and they lapped it up, and we honor and cherish him. So that's really the answer of how we became such a high ride distillery, and we will remain that into the future. I really think not just the high rye bourbon, but I think rye in general is a great niche for new rift to go for. Um, you know, there's a, a number of good distilleries. We'd probably agree on most of them that are making some dynamite bourbon, big boys too, you know, the Buffalo Traces and the Four Roses of the world for, for sure, heaven hell. But not that many people are as, as laser focused on rye. And so it gives sure. us a chance to, to be a major player, you know, a top two or three in time in a, in a burgeoning growing category. And it's a, it's, it's America's whiskey. And so we're excited about that. I just, I, I had to, because we were talking about the rye, I had to pour a little bit of the Balboa. I don't have a whole lot of it left, but I yeah. had to pour it. I had to yeah. pour a little bit of it. So, yeah. to, so we could talk about this because sure. this has been one of my favorite experiments that I've seen from you all as much as I love the backsetter it feels like the Balboa is just so special and it was uh, for anybody who is not in the know it was the 2019 uh, special release from New Riff um, how, how did this product come to be what was the the kind of uh, uh, the, the process of, of creativity behind this because this yeah. is this is something that it, it feels like unless you know what Balboa even is, you would have no idea that this is something that could be in the world, something that could actually exist. So how, how did you all kind of stumble upon Balboa Rye? 
Okay. Um, in this case, it's probably not stumbling, but it's Jay Harrison being very thoughtful. Sure. Jay sure. is a historian, um, a, a local historian and a historian of whiskey, as well as a tremendous palate and tremendous person who understands, you know, Japanese whiskey and Scotch whiskey and, and cognac and so forth. So he brings a very broad perspective and it's fantastic. Uh, and Jay, uh, what 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 your your listeners need to know, maybe not all of them do, is that Balboa is an heirloom rye. Right. Okay. It was a cover crop developed in the twenties, maybe thirties. You know, it's pretty sketchy the information, and it was used as a cover crop and um, pretty much throughout the Midwest and you know in, in Minnesota and so forth. So, um, uh, but it pretty much died out with the bioengineered you know, higher yield, you know, grains that, that supplanted uh, all these heirloom grains pretty much died out. But Jay knew about it and he, you know, he knows uh, and he's tra he tracked down some. And it turned out that the fog farm that we deal with in Indiana, um, which also supplies corn to for roses, for instance, a great, great mm -hmm. family farm about 80 miles from us had a patch of the, the Balboa, and they were just using it as cover crop. They didn't care about it. Sure. Um, but there aren't many of them around. And uh, Jay tracked it down, and he got them, and he thought, well, you know, he talked us into it and said, hey, why don't we try it? And we've got a mill, and we can deal with it. Um, and we said, sure, let's go for it. Well, it, it turned out to be pretty sensational. Um, <laughs> I agree with you, by the way. Um, you know, I mean, just... I think the backsetters are a really interesting project. And Absolutely. And maybe yeah. in a couple more years, they might come together just a little bit more, but they're good. Ooh. But they're not there. Yeah. Above at four years old is there. And even Absolutely. older, it's hard to think about it. So our, we're, we're working on it. We found a, um, a, a, a – do you have time for a quick story about the – Absolutely, no. By, by all means, yeah, take all the time you want. Here's a story though, that, that, that is cute, and especially for someone who appreciates, you know, that this is a really interesting product that's going to have legs because we've yeah. made more of it and we may do other things with Babylon. Sure. Become sure. even more central to New Riff as time goes on. I, you know, certainly there are discussions about that. But our, our friend in Indiana who was making it, uh, we, did, we made it for, an, I forget how many years, a couple of years, maybe three years. Each year he grew more for us. And we made more, thankfully. So there'll be more Babola coming. Um, That's fantastic. Always very limited. Um, but a year ago, uh, we went back to get the largest crop ever of Balboa. And he called and talked to Jay. And he said, Jay, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, the boys, you know, he's out there in Indiana, rural Indiana. The boys went out and uh, when they... Um, you know, we had X number of acres. I don't know how many. Let's say it's 10 acres, 15 acres. doesn't matter. And they went out and they, uh, they harvested the Balboa. And they still had a couple hours left in the day. And in the same, you know, truck, they harvested, uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple other acres of, of generic rye. And sure. it all got mixed. <laughs> oh, oh. Not only did we not have the Balboa that year, there's no grain for seed. 
Wow. The story has a happy ending in the works. It, we, we became known. We released the Balboa. It got into, you know, a number of publications, you know. And right. And so right. How this happened, I don't know. Some farmer in an even more rural area of Tennessee called our general line, you know, just leave a message line and goes, oh, I heard you guys, I can't do the accent. I heard you guys got, <laughs> the, got the, you know, this Balboa. I said, I, I got a bunch of Balboa. I, I, you know, I've never even sold it to anybody. I don't even, would you guys be interested? It's all the way down here, you know, <laughs> We bought some, we've trucked it in. This happened recently, last month. Looks great, smells, tastes, you know, looks like sure. it's good and it looks like we've saved ourselves and we're going to use some of it for seed and we'll continue to buy it from the gentleman in Tennessee and we're going to make a lot more about it. But That's fantastic. I mean, for, I mean, like for six or eight months, we thought we created this, I mean, created, we made a really fantastic product that sure. really may have great reputational legs, you know, and this becomes eight years old or whatever. Oh, and man. it could really, you know, be one of those signature New Rift products. And boom, you know, all the boys <laughs> went out and they, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so what, one of the, the things, and um, I, I, the, the conversation about Balboa Rye could go on forever because just, you know, A, how much I, I love it, and, and, and B, it's so exciting to hear that there's going to be more of it in the future. I think that is just super, super exciting. I know that um, our, our listeners are, are going to be very excited about that. But I, I, I have to ask, too, just out of pure curiosity, have you had a favorite special release that the new riff has put out? Is there anything that kind of has piqued your interest more than anything else? Um, you know, I'm probably supposed to be, you know, like a parent that keeps <laughs> all their children equally, but, you know, that's not realistic. Uh, I personally, first of all, it's palate and taste and so forth. Uh, I think we make a lot of really good products. Uh, I am rice centric. I think we have a real shot at being, you know, and, and I'm not saying we're going to be, I think we have a shot at being, you know, you know, the best or nearly of the course. best rye yeah. producer in the United States. We really mm -hmm. are focused. We got a great teacher master who taught us the black arts and, and our guys love it. Um, and it, continuing with that, um, I, I have to say that at this point in time, uh, the Balboa is my personal favorite. And we'll see. I don't. I don't. I would hope that we'll find some other things. I know we've got some pretty amazing things that I'm not allowed to talk about in the barrel. <laughs> um, we. We. I can say that. In addition to that, I love a product that's going to come out in the spring. Uh, that you may know something about, which is our 100% malted rye. Yes. And I think yes. the 100% malted rye and the Balboa rye, but there's a theme there. There's a rye theme coming. Sure. And I, I think you're going to find new riff as the years go on. People are going to say things like, they make really good bourbon. They make awesome <laughs> And they may well be what happens. We'll, we'll, let, we'll see what guys like you decide about it. oh of course of course well I, it, you know what's what's funny too and i'll, I'll give a, a special shout out to one of our listeners uh his name's ian and he is a die hard new riff fan i mean yeah. if if i could point to somebody who preaches the gospel 
of New Riff. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's Ian, and he is just all about what you guys do and, and loves your products and, and just is, he's kind of a super fan, I, I guess. Yeah. So I, I know that he's going to be really excited to, to hear all of this too. And, and one thing I want to touch on as well, you guys are doing such great things at four years old. And this is a conversation that I've had with the, with the folks at Wilderness Trail too, about how, you know, their, their products are so good at four years old as well. I understand that there's that, that mindset of, we have to put out a product eventually that's going to be six years old, eight years old, eventually 12 years old as well. But at the same time, if your core product is so solid at four years old, is there really a need to keep stepping it up in age? So as, as you kind of see these products getting older, these barrels getting older, two, four, 10 years down the line, will there still be kind of a core four-year-old bourbon or will the brand itself evolve, the product itself evolve to become a, a higher age-stated product uh, when it hits the shelves? Well, again, a, an extremely thoughtful thread of conversation. And, sure. And it's one that we, I'm intimately involved continuously because this is strategic planning one-on-one. Of course. For us. And, of course. And, you know, where are we going? How do we become a great small story? <laughs> um, so without a short answer is there will always be you know, uh, an entry level bottled and bond product. Um, and, you know, I think that's very important. It's important for competitive reasons. And, uh, you know, I will say that I have no intentions of raising the price. I think, you know, for years and years and years, I think it's properly priced. And ultimately we need to compete against, uh, you know, the, the global companies as well as sure. this, I call it a tsunami of whiskey. <laughs> because they will make supply equal demand. Of that course. That's in a good way at work. And yeah. so we have to figure out we're little old new riff. We're not so little, but we're little compared to them. Um, fits into the big scheme of things. And I think one of the ways is to have a high quality, but very well positioned and priced product to consider, you know, next to the Four Roses or a Buffalo Trace. And because it's 100 proof and non-chill filtered and it's only $5 more, be a very good value. So we will continue to have it. And the other, the other part of the answer is, but clearly uh, we are extremely interested in having uh, older products and, and significant quantities of older products. It's right. our expansion and growth as we have uh, the budget and, and to, to do it. And every year we make more product it's not particularly to make a lot more four-year-old. It's to have a lot more to become older. So right now we're putting away a third of everything we make to be older. And in time, I want that to, to grow so that sure. it becomes even more older product because we, we do know, we all know that uh, although you can get to the point where there's too much wood and it's, 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 it's a diminishing returns, um, I, I'm too concentrated and too thick and so forth. 
But I do think that up to, you know, eight and 10, I think 10 is kind of a sweet spot. Very generally, there's so much climatic differences and so forth. But that matters to become one of the great small distilleries in the world. And those products are a better, a, a superior product um, to a four-year-old. And they each have their place in the system. And we want to inhabit increasingly the older products. When that 100% malt of rye comes out, it's going to have a six-year age statement on it. Wow. Okay. So we're, we're constantly going to get older, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep the entry level at all times. And the last thing to say about that is, and again, it's heretical. It's absolutely heretical in the industry. Um, we are, with the angel share and evaporation, of course, you have fewer bottles of a 10-year-old barrel than a four-year-old. Of course, all your listeners know that. But so, so there has to be a price differential. But our mantra is, we don't expect any greater return on a 10-year-old barrel than on a four-year-old barrel. We'll get, it'll be, has to be higher price because there's fewer bottles. Sure. But we're not looking for a, a percentage return because we've had it around six more years. Right, right. If we get X thousands of dollars when we sell, you know, a gross profit from a barrel. We want to keep that. And that's a, a way that we, we, we want to run counter to this. We don't like triple digit bottles of bourbon and rye. I'm opposed to it. And I think there's a greed factor going on. And it's also, it, it takes too many bottles and puts them out of the hands of people that will really appreciate them. So we want to be very democratic with a small D and, and be a distillery that's high quality, but doesn't forget, you know, so to speak, where you came from and, and who your loyal followers like Ian and so forth. Uh, you know, we're always from year one. And so, you know, I'd like to see a 10 year old product, you know, be 60 or $70. And sure. But, you know, we'll see how that works out. But I think that's an important part of who New Riff is. And it's the independence, you know, that, that we're not in this just to make as much money as we can, but to make a great whiskey and to get it out to the right people to drink it and not just hoard it and, and show it off and so forth. On, on the topic of pricing, too, and, and, and this might be a little bit, off topic, but but I think it's important for us to to talk about as well. When considering what you were going to place the price at for New Riff, was there any consideration as to how the the secondary market might respond, or or what certain whiskeys at at this entry level position or or, or price? might be i mean were were you thinking of that at all when uh, when pricing the 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 initial small batch bottle and bond uh the answer is no um you know sure. as a retailer for all those years i clearly had an advantage when i you know look at our brand architecture and how we're going to price uh because i know you know i know exactly where things need to fall and you know clearly we don't have the economies of scale and we're not going to be you know, at a Jim Beam price and so forth. And we don't want to, <laughs> um, but we don't want to be too expensive either. And we want to live within our means and hit our budgets and, you know, uh, pay our bills. Uh, but our objectives aren't tremendously beyond that. 
inevitably, I mean, it's happening right now. I mean, it, it happened with OKI, but it's happening even with a Balboa, for instance. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- these things are going triple digits, but it's not from us, and we have no control over it. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I apologize. I didn't mean to insinuate no, that maybe no, you I, had I, any. I, I, I just say that we're not influenced that way. We, we'll never yeah. look, I will never look, as long as I'm running the show, we will never price based on what the market will bear. I'm opposed to it. And actually, I think that's uh, the, the leadership in that comes from people like Buffalo Trace from Sazerac, from Four Roses. They don't do it either. Yeah. Um, they're very fair. You can't get the bottles, and they instantly <laughs> you know, crazy expensive on the secondary market, and some retailers, you know, you know, do all kinds of things with pricing and so forth. But they didn't do it. And, and they're very careful about that. So they set a very good leadership tone that, that we're going to follow. It's, it's really interesting to me to hear that, that tone of conversation between distilleries, right? And I, I know that we're kind of conditioned to think, well, it's us versus them. We, we have to you know, only fight for ourselves. But I, I think in the the bourbon world, in the bourbon market, it's not like that. And that's very evident, especially when you look at, at, at history and, you know, specifically something like the, the Heaven Hill fire in the mid-90s. All of the distilleries that, that came to their aid and, and provided whiskey so that they could just continue to operate and, and make a profit how how has your relationship looked with other distilleries since coming to market? I, I mean, have have you all been able to kind of be friendly competitors, or it you know? And and, and I don't mean to to pride too much to the point where it's you know you, you can't talk about it, but I am genuinely curious if you know you you have. Um, found kind of a place amongst the the other distilleries um where you you're aware of each other's existence you accept each other's existence and you kind of move on from there so so what's that kind of been like for you yeah well it's again a very interesting question uh, but the i think the answer is pretty unequivocal uh the and part of this let's be honest can be framed by the fact that demand is so high so there, there's enough to go around. Everybody's sure, doing well. Sure. Everybody's doing well. And things could change when that massive tsunami comes of whiskey and supply equals demand. But I don't th- I think it'll change some, but I don't think it'll change completely. I will say that right now there is a tremendous spirit of, of uh, cooperation and frequently very high mutual respect. I mean, it certainly goes from us to the global companies. I think they make dynamite whiskey and they price it very fairly um and i have tremendous respect for you know some names i've already mentioned um and what they're doing in the marketplace if i have any problem and and if there's any concern that i have it's with craft distilleries and not all by any means but there are clearly some people getting into the business and you see it all the time you know and pricing things in a crazy fashion and and, uh, uh, you know, putting two years, two year olds out there, at, at, you know, $80 and mm-hmm. so forth, and a fancy bottle, you know, and not being clear about the origin, not being transparent. So my beef is with smaller distilleries that 
can muck up the marketplace. It is absolutely not with the big boys that I think have a wonderful uh, approach to the market, have a long view, and have provided some great leadership. So, and that, uh, I was I was genuinely hoping that that was going to be the response. <laughs> I, I wasn't. No, I, you know, we're not necessarily on too many of their radars. We're too small. I mean, we, <laughs> we're a big little little uh, distillery. No, I think we're actually pretty well known by the big boys, and I, 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 they, I and I think they appreciate that there's someone coming who says good, you know, who, who sets a good tone for the industry too, um, and and I think there's a lot of mutual respect. But uh, yeah, it, it's a good, you know, we have the Kentucky Distillers Association. It's been yeah. well run. Eric Gregory, they run a very good organization. They're mm-hmm. a model for the whole country. In, in, not just in our industry, but other industries. And, and folks really do cooperate very, very well. And, um, and, the, and the big global companies do not throw their weight around. Uh, sure. You know, they, there's a lot of respect you know, uh, amongst even smaller distillers and the big, big distillers. What, what did the, the being added to and, and, and getting able to be a part of the, the craft trail mean for you all? The Kentucky bourbon craft trail i think that's the or craft bourbon trail i can't remember the exact yeah, i think it's craft bourbon trail but i think that i think that's right too but but what what does that mean for you all was that a big step was that just something that you kind of felt like was you know just just going through the motions or or you know what what was that that thought process for you all i i in all honesty i don't think it's a big step um, you know, if we had decided and we could have been to be on what we call the big trail, <laughs> um, that would be a big step because it would change a lot of things operationally. We didn't do it deliberately because we really don't want busloads of, of, of people that just want to get their passport stamped. And I, right. I'm not being mean to anyone. I, I'm a tremendous booster for Kentucky tourism and, and what the Bourbon Trail is doing, but it would overwhelm us and we couldn't give the quality of tour that we want to. Uh, so forth. So, um, but I think the craft trail is, you know, it's an automatic, not automatic, but semi-automatic admission. Um, and it's, it's a great association. Uh, but I think most of us on the craft trail, we, we, we do a lot of regional, um, right. Our exposure is more regional and more on our own rather than it's helping. I'm helping someone down in Paducah or, you know, or something like that. I've, been kicking this idea around for for a while and it's just something that i i I really want to pursue eventually but doing a a series where you know we take a month and we just talk to that one region uh on the craft trail and you know doing you know however many weeks there are maybe however many episodes we can we can fit into uh that period of time and and i think it would be really interesting to be able to sit down, uh, you know, with, with everyone. And maybe even it's a, it's a big panel where everybody comes together and we, we all talk about, sure. uh, you know, each region and, and the, the meaningfulness behind the craft trail too, because I think that there's, there's this kind of notion that the craft trail is the baby brother to the bourbon trail. Yeah, sure. And, and I don't think that's, entirely warranted or entirely fair because like new riff like 
um, the, these other distilleries that are, they're on the trail, I apologize for not being, I, I can't recall any at the moment, but I, I just don't think that it's fair to some of these distilleries that are producing at such a high volume and, and at such a high quality as well to assume that they are below the bourbon trail in any way. And th this all goes back to, you know, discussing how you all are dealing with other distilleries and, and how you are working with them or, you know, against them or anything. But it is, again, nice to hear that there is camaraderie <laughs> but between the distilleries, between the companies. Um, so I, I, I look forward to what you all are going to be doing in the future. And I have to ask you as well, th this is something that actually I, I reached out to Ian specifically and I said, is there anything you want me to ask Ken? Um, and I, I want to get his question right. Let me, let me pull it up real quick. Um, but he asked, what are you looking forward to with the brand? What, what are you the most excited about with the, the future of New Riff? It gets back to what we've covered a lot, which is really, it, it ultimately is, is when we have 10 and 12 year old whiskey. Sure. Um, and, and we're maturing as a whiskey company um, to have those older stocks and to be able to um, uh, really, really do some interesting you know, special tours with people like yourself and Ian, um, you know, where we're able to sit down and talk about, you know, the four-year-old and how it's aged and become 10 at this point right. or 12. Or, right. You know, how the back sitter was, was really great, or, you know, when it was seven, but it got, it, it went over the hill. You know, I mean, just those, whatever it turns out to be. Um, and, and about the stories of, you know, along the way of somebody, you know, what's your, what's your true stories or, you know, how we found our, our water source, which is, you know, I mean, just a, a great, you know, ac almost accidental kind of thing. But uh, I, I think it's the maturing of the distillery that I look forward to. And it's interesting, again, I go back to where we started, which is distilling is a gift to the next generation. I mean, I, will, I hope to be on the earth, you know, when all these things transpire, but I won't be running New Riff at that point. Sure. You know, it, it will be in other you know, I'm busy. I've got a great young team and I think I'm a decent mentor to them and they'll be running the company. And I think they'll be doing it with the same kind of values, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, so that's what I look forward to is, is the years going by and not wishing them to disappear. We're doing well and it's exciting. And every day's a, you know, the meetings that we have talking about strategy and, and you know, and, you know, and about Balboa and, and you know, Paul's Rye and, you know, what's going to be in the Whiskey Club next year. You know, that, that's a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I enjoy all the time that's passing, but it will be interesting to be in a position where we can look back 10, 12, 15 years. You know, I mean, I'd say 12, 15, even 20 years and look back and, and think about where we've come from and what we've accomplished and see it in the whiskey and sit down right. with someone like yourself and Ian. And, and do a, you know, long comparison, you know, of, of 10 years of, you know, some new risks and see how things have matured and tell the stories that that's what that'd I be incredible. That's, that'll be fun. 
and now I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah, well, it'll happen. You're young. It'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> two two questions, and then we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Yes, sir. This might be purely because of what's sitting over your shoulder, but do you have a, a favorite Harry Potter book? Uh, they're not my Harry Potter books. So I didn't answer, think they were, no. but I had to ask. <laughs> I haven't read one. <laughs> I'm always going to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. I just I got a little excited because I saw him over there, and I was like, oh, maybe I should ask him. <laughs> and then last but not least, I, I want to ask you, and this is I, it, purely out of curiosity again. Do you have a favorite barrel at the distillery right now that's sitting in a rick house that you kind of come back to every now and then? But you just you tap it a little bit for just for yourself and nobody else? Yeah. I do not. I'm back to that, you know, <laughs> you're, you're talking. But I will tell you that Jay Erisman does. <laughs> that's awesome. France does. Now, I don't think that they're going to reveal any of that. Oh, of course. They do. And that's fair. Fair enough. Well, Ken, thank you so much for getting to, for, for sitting uh, down with me. I, I really have appreciated uh, your, your time. It was, like, it was a great conversation. It was like having a, a buddy in my room. You know, and <laughs> it, it was, and you're, you're really good at this and I enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. And, and you know, that's what we're here for. It's just about, you know, being able to have conversations about not just, you know, what, what inspires you and what you're looking forward to, but just, you know, it, th this is the open space to allow people to sit down and, and tell their story. Yeah. And well, so I, 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 I really appreciate you being open and honest with me, Ken. And this I, has I, been... I Good it's conversation, and this is the way the brand gets built over years and years and years and wonderful conversations like this after each other. Of course, and we're super excited to see where, where New Riff is going over the next few years yeah. as well. Everybody go check out New Riff on not just social media, but also go visit the distillery. You absolutely need to. I'm going to be doing it here in a few weeks, so yes, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, again, thank you, Ken. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Ken for sitting down with me for that interview. It got me in the mood for some new riff. You want some new riffs one? Yeah. If you're done with your, your Sam Houston over there, highfalutin, big talking, bourbon drinking man. Mm, yes. How about a 113 proof pick from their uh, one of their distillers? Don't break my that. stuff, Swan. <laughs> Everything's very delicate in here. Cleaning my feelings. <laughs> Don't yell at me. Sorry, you can break whatever you want to. I'm sorry. I plan on it. <laughs> so I've had this long-standing theory that 113 proof, at least. It's the sweet spot. It's the best proof for new riff picks. Or single barrels, rather. And um, I, I was out of my, my 113 proofer. And when we went to the uh, the distillery, I saw that they had a pick that was 113 proof. And I was like, you're coming home with me. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> <coughs> we're not going to actually review this. I mean, we'll just taste it, of course. Yeah. I'll be honest. I had a ton of fun visiting their distillery. I did, too. And had I, a great time. And I got home, and I was, like, looking through the little goodie bag they gave us. <laughs> and I was like... You know, all the normal stuff, like, oh, a really nice glass, some yeah. stickers, a coaster, business card. 
Then I was like, what's in this white bag? Malta milk balls. Oh, yes. I ate the entire thing at once. <laughs> they were like, I, I, I felt like the vacuum cleaner from Teletubbies, just, <laughs> just inhaling food. Such a niche reference. Yeah. I mean, I know that plenty of people are going to get it, but still, like... Yeah, I mean... Anybody who doesn't understand it, I apologize on behalf of Swan. It's like the mechanical Snuffleupagus. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> Hashtag Snuffy Squad. Yeah. So, it, they're oh, so man. good. I'm tempted to go back just to buy them. Can I get them in bulk? Can I get four the, pounds? The, <laughs> the malted milk balls? Yes. Well, I don't know. They're so good. What Whoppers if it's on ain't their... got nothing <laughs> on them. Hey, you take that back. I love Whoppers. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> I bought so much candy for Halloween. I bought way too much candy for Halloween. I'm proud of myself. I had no candy for Halloween. Well, I mean, I bought it for trick-or-treaters. Oh, okay. But I bought too much. Mm. And so now we just have cavity inducers all around our house. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Standard new riff, man. It's so just, good. Just quality. It's a great nose. It just does not smell like it's four years old. No. I think it's four years old. No, and, and they were going over how they're very meticulous with their grain selection. Wait, no, that's not it. It's over here. Oh, it's four and a half years old. Ooh. It's almost... <clears throat> I mean, it's getting close to have, having been five. Distilled 10, 5, 15, bottled 7, 20. Nice. So, there you go. Yeah, you were talking about how they selected their grains yeah they're very meticulous yeah and they're big on on barrels they actually use two different companies i learned a lot it's very cool also they their uh their distillation process as well oh yeah they like do one distillation per barrel right uh-huh. which is just nuts yeah and it's it's no wonder that they wind up with such a varying degree of flavor profiles uh, yeah yeah it's, <laughs> they do yeah and, and the strange part was like at one point, we even asked them, because knowing they used two different barrels, we were, in, uh, we were like, can you go back and look? Because we're really between these two, and I'm sure they've got to be different barrels. Exact same barrel company. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's it insane. Bizarre. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that New Rift truly is one of the more unique single barrel programs out there. Yeah. Even if you get just an off-the-shelf single barrel, it's going to be wildly different from another pick that you've had. Mm-hmm. And even from here's here's what always kind of trips me up about this. Not always because it's new information. I can't imagine that it's an easy job batching products when you've got something different coming off the still basically every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like their bottled and bond, I feel like has been consistent, but I don't know. It, what their process might look like. I'm sure it's just trial and error. Yeah. But uh, then again, that's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, I, I was I was reading something the other day that like, so you've heard of doers, right? Well, yeah. Whiskey? Yeah. Apparently they have somewhere between like 20 and 40 different distilleries that they source from. Hmm. Like it's an insane amount. But I'm sure they get very consistent product for majority of them. New Riff's just doing that in-house oh yeah which is is nuts to me uh because their product is crazy consistent on on just their regular bottled and bond yeah for sure i just had a sip of this it's hotter than i remembered ha 
It's good, though. It's really good. Clears your sinuses, that's for sure. It does indeed. Mm. Well, we'll we'll drink on that as we kind of wrap up the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about tips and bits? Tips and bits? Let's I didn't ta- bring anything. <laughs> Hold on. Sure you did. You got to try something for the first time on Friday. Lee's Famous Chicken. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. We were leaving New Riff. We were leaving... Yeah, we were leaving New Riff. And Swan's like, we got to get something to eat. I was like, there's a McDonald's over there. Is that okay? And you're like, I'm not picky. And I go, okay. So we go, and I look right next to... And by the way, this is like our tips and bits. This mm-hmm. isn't just yours. Lee's is like my favorite chicken place. And every Lee's in Lexington is out of business. There were three. They were perfectly placed around the city. Equidistant chicken. Just about. Yeah. And every freaking one of them closed down. I was so mad. I was so mad about it. And so (laughs) we're driving up to McDonald's. I look to the left of it. And they, all I see is like the word like chicken on the side of the building. And I was like, <gasps> Swan, we're not getting McDonald's anymore. Listen, man, it was crazy. <laughs> so I always knew Lee's existed. I just never went. No, it's just Yeah, of there. course. It's there. Yeah. And then you tell me that you're like, you, you've got to have Lee's. And within like a week, my new manager at Total Wine was just like, have you had Lee's before? And I was like, oh, God, here we go. And he said something to the effect of, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and I told him That's I was a going of a to Lee's. feeling for and, somebody who's just met you to put on you. Yeah. And, and I I don't know. I told him I was going to Lee's. He's like, got to get the sweet tea, get, the, get this, and get this. And I'm like, gosh, man, this place has a very underground <laughs> following. This is, this is intense. It's. It's the best, though. I will say, it held up, man. You it were, held up. Yeah, you seemed like you were pretty impressed with it. Yeah, like, even the... You could tell that some of the stuff had not been cooked within the last 20 minutes and had been eh, hanging out for a little bit. Eh, it still, still tasted great. great. Still great. Didn't even matter. Hard to beat. Didn't even matter. Yeah. We, uh, we're we re-watching Letterkenny right now. That's It's so good, man. It's so funny. I will say, Letterkenny is one of those shows... It is hard to watch consecutive episodes for like if you watch like five of them your brain's melted you pretty yeah you do have to take a break (laughs) you definitely have to take a break unless you're just hammered and then i'll be (laughs) honest it's the best thing in the world it's just a constant laugh fest for like four hours that's fair yeah that's fair um hmm, let's see Ooh, i wrapped up my spooky movie season Mm. on uh what is it Thursday or Friday night? I can't remember exactly. With uh, It Chapter 2 and Alien. And uh, one of those movies, real good. The other one, just fine. <laughs> I'll let you figure out which one. Oh, I already, I already got it. Yeah. I already got it. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already sad that Halloween season's over. No one is putting parameters on your, your ability to watch that. You can, you can watch spooky movies. All the time. I just feel like I've I've lost the passion. I've lost the drive. That's fair. That's fair. I don't have the the energy or the desire for it anymore. So are, are you one of those people that's already like this is Christmas, or, or is it all about Thanksgiving for you? No, I I need that break 
in between Halloween and Christmas? I don't. I put my Christmas tree up today. Ah, uh, I can't. I can't do it, man. Did you really though? <laughs> it's not decorated yet, but I got it. I put it's it up. up there. You're gonna yeah. come home, and Gus is gonna have to have uh, torn it down. Plastic ornaments. Yeah. I've thought this through. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Kitten's yeah. worst nightmare. <laughs> it won't break. No, I need. I need that that break before the onslaught of of Christmas time. Mm-hmm. It's just. I and I lump, oddly enough, it's not a big holiday, but I kind of lump Halloween in with the holiday season because it is kind of like that transition into it. Like you start out kind of small, and you get a little, not a little bit, you get significantly bigger, and then there's the one at the end that's just like just huge and massive, and everybody goes all out for it and everything. Mm-hmm. And I I like the crescendo into that's fair. Christmas. You know, maybe you'll get a couple of of flakes of snow during November. It's cold, but it's not so cold that you don't want to go and do stuff. And you're, I mean, it's different now. But, you know, it used to be that you weren't bombarded with Christmas commercials. uh, Yeah. And radio stations are already playing Christmas music Mix 94.5. Yeah, it's... It's insane. Are they still mixed? I don't know. It doesn't There's matter. something. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> no one listens to them. Unless it's like December 20th through the 25th. Unless you just yeah. really want to hear Mariah Carey. Oh, I think I, I came out last year without having heard All I Want for Christmas is You once. Maybe one time. Yeah. And, and I think it might have been at the tail end of it. But, yeah, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> Not a fan of that song. You did good. That's impressive. I like I'm I like those alternative Christmas playlists mm-hmm. or alt Christmas albums. Yeah, like She and Him, the uh, Zoe Deschanel yeah. and M Ward collaboration. I really like their Christmas album. John Legend has a really good one too that came out last year. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. Absolutely. Michael Bublé. <laughs> the boobs. Mr. Bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, tips and bits this week. Give it time before you get into Christmas. <laughs> Please. Or don't. Or d- <laughs> Here's another tip and or bit. Stop watching Criminal Minds, Swan. <laughs> I just started season four today. <laughs> today. We need to get a social campaign going to get Swan to stop watching Criminal Minds. Oh, man. I don't know what I'm getting out of this. That's, I don't, <laughs> that's the worst part about it. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. That's rough. I don't know, like once Ooh. every six episodes, I was like, wow, that was just really sucked me in. I had a good time. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to end with that just really sucked. <laughs> no, that's the other five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get through it. <laughs> Terrific. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hashtag stop. Sw- I got to work on the hashtag for this. This going to be a long one. It is. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there, though. Anyway, thank you all so much for making it through this episode. It was a little bit longer with the interview and everything, but I like having a bit of a longer episode every now and then. The You know, we got stuff we got to do. 
And uh, we appreciate everybody for sticking around through it. You can follow up with us on social media if you'd like to do that. Swan, where can people find you on the social medias? I'm at Instagram at SwanTBF. You are. I am at Pirator1492 on all social media platforms. You can find the show at My Bourbon Pod on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on the iTunes podcast app if that is where you listen to the show. There's also other ways to leave us little notes and reviews if you feel so inclined to do so. And if you do leave us a nice little note or a review, we will actually read it out here on the show. I don't think that we have a new one this week. Let me let me double check real quick, make sure nothing's changed in the past couple of... Nope, nope, nothing's changed. We uh, do not have a new review. But uh, if you do review the show, it really helps it get up in the iTunes podcast app works with that algorithm i don't truly know how all that works but apparently it does so get on it or don't we appreciate people who listen in general <laughs> you find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com shirts uh sweatshirts socks maybe i think some shoes i don't know there's logos there's you know cool shirts i'm really selling it aren't i they're skateboards i just can i get a tim bip santa hat oh freaking a i don't know i need to find out you're gonna come over to the house one day dressed as as santa claus yes and you're gonna make my baby cry (laughs) yes that's the plan you remember last week how i said i had the thought that i should dress up as santa yes instead it's gonna be uncle swan yeah, I'm going to come over. She's going to sit in my lap. And I'm like, instead of, what do you want for Christmas? It's like, what's your tips and bits this week? <laughs> <laughs> what have you been drinking recently? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You can become a part of our Facebook group. Facebook.com. Search for This Is My Bourbon Group. You can leave us a voicemail for our oft-neglected, but sometimes brought up, barrel ring segment where people... Leave us a little little note, a little voicemail. We listen to it, respond to it on air. And uh, maybe maybe we'll ask you people and you leave us a voicemail for next week. What is your favorite new riff expression? That's a good one. Yeah. What are you most excited about with new riff too, if anything? Oh, goodness. What else do we have here, Swanee? Uh, live streams Thursday nights. Not entirely sure what that's going to look like just the at the moment. But I will be back this week and then every other week thereafter for a while. And last but not least, patreon.com slash podcast is where you can become a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month. And for $5 a month, you get all of the bonus content that comes out every week, including the pregame chats and the last call, which is going to be starting up probably after the first of the year again. Uh, that's always a really fun time that we get to have wrapping up the show, goofing around a little bit more, you know, going and meeting weird bartenders <laughs> sorry i just took a drink long pause <laughs> a little bit of dead air there i think the music might be playing under us at this point i don't know that's all good it's all good yes strange bartenders we love them <laughs> they're good, they're good stuff. anyway patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast that does it for this week's episode we'll see you all next week for another i don't know what we're doing next week yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. We always just do it on the fly. Like like birds do. Like you. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, see you all next week. Have a good week. I never tell you people that, but have a good week. We'll see you next time. But until then, I'm Perry. And I'm Swan. And this is my bourbon podcast. <laughs> <laughs>